Good morning. It's a real joy and privilege to be here and to be blessed by uh, some, the offering that we just had from our dear brothers up here singing for us. Uh, thank you so very, very much. Actually, being with you is a wonderful introduction for what I want to say to you today. To look into the faces of people that uh, accept you, that welcome you, then that four-letter word, uh, love you, brings to mind thoughts of happiness and praise and contentment and so on. The one word that captures it all for me is the word blessing. And I, I want to uh, say something this morning about blessing as we consider something that the first psalm has to say. Say to us, and if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Psalm 1, the very first psalm. Reading at verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. And the wicked are not so. They are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Uh, May we pray for just a moment. Father, we bow our heads in your presence as we acknowledge you as the blesser, the one who has blessed us so abundantly the one who loves us without measure, we give you thanks. Thank you, Father, for our time together this morning. And may this word reflect something of who you are and what you want us to do. Thank you, Father. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I believe there's no other book quite like the Psalms, to meet the need of the heart when it is discouraged and defeated or when it's elated and encouraged. The Psalms are absolutely without a challenge with regard to these things. I'm sure you are always aware that happiness and joy are more than good things that result from everything going your way. Life isn't like that, except perhaps the musical Oklahoma. (laughs) We, We know, for instance, that the Apostle Paul talked a great deal about life when he was in prison. And the Lord Jesus told his disciples to rejoice and be exceedingly glad when they were persecuted because they belonged to him. 
The Psalms are helpful simply because they teach us how to find our way through the many types of situations that are discouraging and depressing. And our psalm for today, Psalm 1, is an introductory psalm which introduces us to human life and how that human life can be lived in fellowship and communion with God. Psalm 1, therefore, begins with the God-centered happy man. Much like the book of Genesis begins with Adam walking in fellowship with God in the cool of the day. And the purposes of Psalm 1, I believe, are at least twofold. First, it helps us to know the difference between the man who takes God seriously and the man who believes he can live his life apart from God. And secondly, it helps us to define what it means when the psalmist says in verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. So let's begin at the beginning. It's a good place usually to start. Let's begin at the beginning in defining this wonderful word, blessed. The Greeks were of the opinion that their gods were up there in heaven or up there in the sky somewhere, and they were having just having a great time. They were having a party all the time. And the term that they used for this partying up there by the gods was the Greek word makarios. And that's the word that's used in our text, makarios. The word means happy or blessed or enriched or fulfilled or contented. But an interesting word about our psalm is that this word blessed is not in the singular. It's a plural word. And what it means is happiness upon happiness upon happiness upon happiness. Or blessing upon blessing. And just in passing, it's noteworthy to, to know that happiness is a byproduct. It comes as an effect. It comes as a result of an action. It just doesn't happen. You know, you're just walking along and then all of a sudden you're, you're zapped with some happiness. That's not the way it works. Well, we begin by looking at the life of a happy man or the blessed man in verses 1 to 3. And you might just uh, keep looking at your scriptures and you have them up here on the screen. The blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now we're going to be looking at three metaphors. A metaphor is a picture word. And I want you to think of this as pictures as we think of what the blessed man does and how he is blessed. There are things First of all, in the negative, there are things that I, as a Christian, ought not do. Things that I should not be involved in. There are things that if I indulge in them, they are going to result in my being unhappy. And I want us to look at three negatives. But before, I just want you to notice that this kind of thinking permeates the Scripture. 
1 Corinthians chapter 13, we know as the love chapter. And there are 15 descriptions of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Seven are positive, eight are negative. For example, love does not envy, negative. Love does not, is not jealous, negative. Love is not arrogant, negative, and so on. But let's look at these three negatives beginning at verse 1. The blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And the word that we want to emphasize there is that word walk. And we're going to look at these uh, three metaphors. Just what does this picture word walk mean? What is it that the blessed man does not do? Because walking is the, it's like taking a series of steps. You're on the move. You're going somewhere. It's suggestive of making decisions. And decision making is one of the most crucial aspects of life. We recall a young person who has a, who is at a crisis decision point. Should she take a wonderful internship that will enhance her career so that she can make a lot of money? Or should she go on a short-term missionary journey? It's absolutely essential that you get the right kind of counsel and walk in it. To walk in the counsel of the wicked means a person has received the tainted thinking of a wicked person's thinking and is living life based on that counsel. Let me give you some examples of some tainted thinking. It's okay to overeat because you can overcome the effects of that by taking some Tums or by taking some Gas-X or Maalox, or whatever is out there on the market. But it's okay to overeat if you do these other things. That's some tainted thinking. One of the greatly influential books of the last century was a book written by a man by the name of uh, Fletcher, Joseph Fletcher. And the name of the book is Situation Ethics. Depends on the situation. Depends on the situation. Robert Byrd, once called the conscience of the Senate, uh, said, uh, of President, I got a senior moment, moment here, uh, President Clinton. He said of uh, President Clinton, you know, it's, it was okay uh, for him to be involved in the way he was involved with uh, Monica Lewinsky. That was all right, because that was not really the big issue, because his ends were good. And the ends justify the means. That's an example of uh, bad thinking. Bad thinking. It's okay 
Robert Fletcher said some very interesting things. He said it was okay for a person to commit adultery if the ends were okay. And gives the story of a woman in a Russian concentration camp. And the woman could be set free to rejoin her family if she committed adultery. What should she do? Very difficult position that she was in. But uh, uh, the counsel of the wicked, we need to, to think of, of this a little bit more seriously. Robert Byrd said, the president was guilty. His deeds met the constitutional standard for removal. His deeds were inexcusable, but it was okay. Even though he said everything was wrong, then he contradicts himself and says everything is okay. When the psalmist talks about the wicked, he is not referring to murderers or rapists or dope pushers, the kind of people we usually identify as those who are wicked. The, ter the term really means the ungodly, the man who has little or no time for God in his life, someone who rules God out of his affair and, and of his thinking. To eliminate such a being from one's thinking is to be wicked, to be ungodly. One last word before we move on. The, psalmist, the psalm was written to God's people who lived a long time ago. So what does this have to do with us today, those of us who profess to be God's people? It is not just outright atheists who walk in the counsel of the ungodly. It can also describe the life of a, man, of, of a person who goes to church, who gives lip service to God, but doesn't feel it necessary to obey what God has said. Sometimes there's a serious conflict between knowing what God has said and our willingness to do what he said. And tension results and severe unhappiness and discontent usually follow. There's no happiness or blessedness to an ungodly outlook. And the second metaphor or picture is to stand. The blessed person does not stand in the way of sinners. So what does this word picture stand mean? To stand is a picture of commitment of giving myself to a certain course of action. How many of you have heard this? How do you stand on the abortion issue? How do you stand on allowing school prayer in the schools? How do you stand on banning the sales of guns? How do you stand on the issues of, of the day? When I take a stand on something, it means I believe it. It means I will support it. I will speak in its favor. Standing is a picture of commitment. Now, where is the blessed man told not to stand? Where is he to not make a commitment? 
Where is he to draw the line and say, no, I will go no further? Well, he's not to stand in the way of sinners. And the way of sinners is the adoption of a lifestyle that constantly misses the mark. Sin means to miss the mark. You know those uh, concentric circles with the uh, one big black dot in the middle? One is to shoot at that target and to miss it. That's a sinner. He misses the standard or the target of God's requirement for him. And he misses that mark. That's a sinner. The way of sinners is the adoption of a lifestyle that continually misses the mark. To stand means to place one's life, one's personal happiness on the line in a way of living that has no guidelines. In a way that has a track record of always missing the mark. And that has to be a way of guilt, of frustration, of helplessness and unhappiness. To put this in uh, maybe some uh, modern English language, it might, might say something like this. Hey there, what are you doing standing around with a bunch of losers? A sinner is a loser. He has missed the mark. So why would one want to Take advice from that kind of person. Why would one want to stand in the same place that he is standing? It doesn't make any sense. Well, the third metaphor picture is sit. Nor sit in the seat of the scoffer. What does it mean to sit? This means a settled attitude. It, do, it means that don't bother me with the facts. My mind is already made up. It means I'm totally convinced. It's a continuous disposition of a person's life. And if a person walks long enough in the counsel of the wicked, listens long enough to all that is ungodly, he will next come to the point where he believes what the ungodly are saying. And the, step, the next step is to find a place to sit with those who are cynical. And that's, that's the progression. If we continue in this manner, we will sit in a settled place with the wicked. We live in a cynical age. People are cynical of most institutions, of many politicians, and of what we call religion. One of our politicians was just resigned from the House of Representatives. And people have become more and more cynical of Congress and of our politicians. We need to pray about our leaders. People who are cynical laugh at moral standards and attack divine principles. And this kind of cynicism not only leads to increased anguish in society, but it rarely brings much joy to the, to the cynical person himself. The life patterns of walking in the counsel of the wicked and standing in the way of 
of sinners have driven many to the unhappy conclusion that life is just a cruel joke. Now, we've been looking at where blessedness is and where happiness is not found. Now, let's look and see where blessedness is discovered. And look at verse 2, the happy life described. The first thing to notice is that the person delights in God's word. Why? In God's word, he's told the truth about life. He's also told that he's a sinner and that the soul that sins will die. Now, that's the truth, whether we like it or not. That's the truth. But God's word doesn't stop there. It also tells us about a savior. How my sins can be removed, forgiven, and the person made right with God. And how I can live with God forever. In God's word, this person has revealed to him a power by which he can live a fulfilled life. In God's word, he has discovered the truth about himself and the truth about God. He delights in God's word. God's word. A number of years ago, Kathleen's father was uh, riding to San Francisco on the Greyhound bus. They used to take the Greyhound bus from the area that we lived in. And he had in his hand a book that looked very, very old, uh, very worn out. And he was taking it to San Francisco to have it, to having it rebound. And he sat down in his chair on the Greyhound bus And shortly afterwards, another person joined him, seated next to him. And there was some quiet for a little while until this man said, Well, that's a really old book that you've got there, isn't it? My father said, Oh, yeah, it really is. It's got a message that's over 4,000 years old. And the man said, 4,000 years? Really? What does it say? What does it say? And uh, uh, my father-in-law had the opportunity to tell him what it said. What it said about life. What it said about how we get life fouled up. And how life becomes a joke. And how life can be finally recovered. And how life can become a happy place. Yeah, this uh, dear man was just uh, flabbergasted. A book that was 2,000 to 4,000 years old in its message. A second thing the blessed man does is he meditates in God's word. Why? Because the godly man has learned that in the book of God, he has given a completely different view of life than what he gets from the world. So he's going to spend more time thinking, meditating, chewing on what God has said. The word meditate literally means to moan, to growl, to muse. And what these definitions mean is that there is an interaction, a repeated interaction between the reader and the Word of God. There needs to be that interaction between this book and myself. And I'd like to suggest that you all think about this psalm. 
that you meditate on it and that you have an internal reaction to it to let it dominate your thinking. The next thing that we find in our psalm is the blessed life illustrated. Verse 3. The blessed life is like a tree. Not just any tree. But I want you to notice several things about this tree. First of all, the tree is firmly planted. No sudden wind is going to knock it over. It will be exposed to the elements just like any other tree, but it is not, but it is going to remain because it is firmly planted. Some of the trees that I have planted have not been so firmly planted and uh, they seem to wither uh, shortly afterwards. And then on the other hand, there have been some others that I have planted firmly and they're still alive and they're producing their flower or their fruit or whatever. And uh, that uh, helps me and gives me some satisfaction and joy to see that plant uh, firmly rooted. Uh, it's, it's just a delight. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 13, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant is going to be rooted up, pulled up, roots and all. If God has not planted it, it's not going to stand. We need God to plant that tree so it will stand. What the Lord plans, He plans to stay. A second thing about this plant is that it's fruitful. The tree is useful. The tree is beautiful. I believe that an unproductive person cannot be fulfilled or happy. God made each one of us here to be fruitful. Every Christian ought to be producing fruit in his life. The tree produces fruit in its season. Not before its season nor after its season, at the right time. It's not a forced fruitfulness. The tree is planted by God. It's planted by streams of water. And it's going to produce fruit. Thirdly, the tree is enduring. It doesn't fade. No fading, falling leaves. I have a tree in my backyard that I planted about four years ago. And it's not producing fruit. It actually has two sprigs shooting from the main trunk, and they're green, but they look pretty sick. Look pretty sick, and I don't know whether I'm going to gather any fruit from this tree or not. It's a fig tree. And a fig tree should be bearing fruit by the time I, since I planted it. But this one may need to have some very radical surgery like removing it from the ground. <laughs> A fourth thing about this tree is that the, it prospers. And godly living is always prosperous. And that's a great promise. This doesn't mean that this is a formula for financial success. What it does mean is an enriched life. A blessed life. 
And this will mean far more to true happiness than any amount of material prosperity. But what's the ungodly man like? Verses 4 to 6. How would you describe his life? Well, he is unlike the God-centered man. You know, we've just been describing a uh, God-centered man. And the verdict of the scripture in this passage is the ungodly is not so. He's not like the godly man. There's a certain chill about those words, not so. All that which applies to the believer are shown to be not so for the unbeliever. He can hear all that has been said and then understand that none of it applies to him. He's unfulfilled. He's frustrated. He's cynical. He's not rooted and therefore is in great danger. He's unproductive. He's not happy. He is not blessed. He is like the wind-driven chaff. God's evaluation of the life which has no room for God is that it's fruitless, rootless, and worthless. It is, only, it is not only good enough to be blown away. Chaff is useless. It's a nuisance. It's not only good for nothing, it needs to be gotten rid of. And how does one evaluate such a life? I want you to notice verses 5 and 6. He will not stand among the godly. He'll be at the judgment, but unable to stand. We sometimes sing the song, On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And the last thing that I want to mention with regard to the ungodly is that his way will perish. His life kind of dribbles out into nothingness and ultimately condemnation and banishment from the presence of God. Well, in closing, we've been talking about life, a happy, God-centered life, and a life that is purposeless, unfulfilled, and unhappy. The Lord Jesus came to give hope for exactly that kind of person. He came to give life. And in order to do that, he had to give his own life to pave the way for you and for me. And he makes it possible for us to have eternal life, abundant life, meaningful life, a happy life. And we get that by accepting his promise accepting his gift, accepting the fact that he loves us so very much. And that is possible to be had even this morning as we acknowledge that we are not living a life that is happy. And one can evaluate himself. You can evaluate your own life. Are you living a happy life? Are you fulfilled? Are you fulfilled? And if your answer is no or not really, today's a good day to surrender one's life to God and say, Lord, uh, 
admit it. Lord, I'm not living the kind of life that I would like to live. I'm not, I'm not very happy. And I would like to be happy. I would like to live the kind of life that this psalm talks about. So let's just bow our heads in prayer and ask God to come into our life and to bless us. Father in heaven, we come to you now in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And we thank you, Father, that you came to bring us life and that life more abundantly. And we pray, Father, for each person here this morning who is conscious of not living a fulfilled life, and yet there's a desire to do so. We pray, Father, that you would help that person to acknowledge this and to to ask you to come in to his life, even this morning, even now. And so, Father, we pray your blessing upon this congregation. Bless them, keep them, prosper them. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.